Hey there, listeners. It's Marilena from the future. I wanted to let you know that we briefly, in this episode, talk about guns and gun violence. If you're listening with little ears, which you're probably not, or those of us who are still very sensitive to gun and gun violence, we wanted to give you a heads up. It happens very briefly towards the end of the episode, but we just wanted to let you know in advance. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy the show. Hello, you are listening to En Her Element podcast, featuring Maria Elena Marroquin and Leo Cadia Chuafe. Enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. How's everyone? Hello, listeners. Sorry, I cut you off. <laughs> Also, this is since we've been doing like our bi-weekly schedule, which kind of does help because we're both very busy women. It is also kind of sad because I only get to talk not that I only get to talk to Marlena like every two weeks, but it also just happens that like we only get to do it every two weeks. So it does feel weird that like a space of time comes by and then we go back and we're like, oh yeah, we have a podcast. <laughs> Yeah, and also we do talk. You make it seem like we don't talk, but we haven't talked because I had my cell phone stolen in Spain. Yeah, Marla just told me the story of the she classic pickpocket, a woman using her children as a guise and be like, "Oh my gosh, I'm gonna steal your phone," and Marla not noticing. I when you, you told me the story, I was like, "No." It was funny because she called me when I had my nail appointment, but I didn't pick up because I was having my nail appointment and I was like, well, I can't use my hands at the moment. And like, I get back and like a mutual like friend of ours, which I have actually met this friend, but like a mutual friend of our friend group, like had called me and was like, hey, you don't know who I am, but Marla just got her phone stolen. So uh, if you just use me as a contact, but by the time I got back, like you had left and me and this friend, we just had like a nice, like back and forth banter. It was really nice. <laughs> Now I have to go meet him. Uh, you know, yeah, yeah. But in summation, my time in Spain was amazing. And I actually had a lot of time because I did a very European thing. And I traveled by bus to Spain. I'm never doing that shit again. It was fun. It was just crazy as in like just a lot of time sitting. And that just um, maybe a train, but never again a bus. Um, <laughs> but you have to do it when you're in Europe. I remember I took a, I took a, a 24 hour bus ride from, uh, I forgot the city I was in. I don't know, from some city I was in to like France. I, I was, I had like done like a retreat internship thing and I was going all the way to the north of France and it was, oh, Austria. That's what it was. I was in, I was in Vienna and I took a 24 hour bus ride from Vienna to Kelly, which is like the north of France. I will never do that again, but it was an experience that like you have to do at least once. Yeah. I mean, I did from here to Paris is seven hours. So it's like really from here to Paris, like it's not really a big deal. But from Paris to Spain was like the hardest part. But during that time, I took some books with me. I also took some schoolwork, which I had really good intentions of finishing. Um, (laughs) 
I did do. Don't you can't do school. You can't do schoolwork. On, I mean, you could do schoolwork on vacation. Like when I go on vacation this summer, I'm not doing any work. So, <laughs> but I'm an entrepreneur now and a student, so I have to make that a priority. I suppose. <laughs> so, but um, it did let me finish my book. I'm trying to read at least one book each month. And in the month of April, I decided to read this book called You Sound Like a White Girl, The Case for Rejection Assimilation by Julissa Arce. And um, it just got me thinking a lot uh, as a woman of color. It got me thinking a lot as a Latina um, and also about our podcast. And it got me thinking about how we are both hashtag daughter of immigrants that that is the key line okay that's not the key line of this show but the key line is daughter of immigrants so, um, but it really got me thinking about a couple of questions so i've outlined some questions we're going to dive into this and um again i know that you're super responsible at making our links for our podcast available for people the book is called you sound like a white girl a case for rejection assimilation by julissa arce it came out in March, so it's literally hot off the press. I know I feel like I'm doing breaking news. Um, it got me thinking a lot. Of, <laughs> it got me thinking about a lot of things. Um, it also got me. Go ahead. Oh no! I know I have nothing to say. I've, I I was just laughing at the hop off the press thing. Like you just felt like you're doing breaking news, like on I don't know CNN or NBC. I don't know. Keep going. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. So, um, just have a couple of little points, and um, we'll get started. How does that sound? All right, then let's get started. Yeah, let's do it. Um, let me just get my notes here. But yeah, so essentially, the book that I want to talk about is called "You Sound Like a White Girl: The Case for Rejecting Assimilation." Lissa Arce. Um, so yeah, so let's just start with what assimilation means to to you. So um, <laughs> it's kind of funny because I'm recalling a conversation that I had with someone a couple weeks ago um, about this, but essentially like assimilating is adapting yourself to fit the norms and needs of the society or the majority is how I would put it. And personally for me, what that means is like acting and sounding, I don't wanna say like acting and sounding, but essentially what it is like, I guess like acting and sounding like a white person. And to mm -hmm. some people that might sound really extreme but definitely growing up in my experience, there's like many layers, I think, to my experience. Because one, I'm Black. So that, like a Black person in America, right? And I also lived in the South, like Atlanta, Georgia, which I do love Atlanta. But I think especially like growing up in like the late 90s, early 2000s, like like that, is, that was just definitely an experience, right? So I am Black. On top of that, I am also 
a Black African, right? So there's also the stereotype of Black Americans. But then also, I think my parents probably felt it more than I did, the stereotype of Black Africans. And so, and on top of that too, I have a very foreign name, which I really love, but I have a very foreign sounding name. So anyone who sees my name is like, oh, clearly this person is not white, right? And like assimilating, I think I'll give like a perfect example. So when I started going to school, so I started off in kindergarten. Um, so my name is Leo Kadia, if you guys do not know, <laughs> which you guys clearly do. Um, but when I started going to school, uh, my dad actually changed, not legally, but like changed my name to Katie, C-A-D-I-E. Um, and so for, yeah, so or for about... About 10 years of my life, I was called Katie, but like the reason that was the case was like, well, no one, he was like, no one's going to be able to say Leo Kadia. And I think part of this conversation of assimilation that I want to talk to is the conversation of like names as well. But I think now we're having an understanding of like, your name is your name. And if you want to make it short, like if I want someone to call me Katie, I have that right to do it. But like, if I want someone to call me Leo Padilla, then like, you shouldn't, you should try to say my name, right? And like, you, you, you can say it, you can try to say it, like, don't try to like, do shortcut it. But I think especially at that time, he knew that like, no one's going to be able to say her full name. No one's going to be able to want to say her full name. And the school that I went to at this time was a majority white school. And so, and on top of that, my parents are African, so they're trying their best to fit in. And also on top of that, at that time, I couldn't speak English. I only spoke French and um, uh, like a different language that my parents speak in their village. And so I couldn't speak English coming in. And so they're like, you need to teach your child English, which like, yes, because I also couldn't participate in class. So like, yes, I did need to know English, but at the same time, at this point, my yeah. parents were like, I think it's just easier if she just assimilates into full-on society and we can't have her speaking French at all because that is just not going to help us in any way. So my parents just stopped speaking like French and our native language to me. And I only from then on spoke English. And part of that is like having to assimilate the name change and like not no longer speaking like the my like native languages at home was a way for my parents for me to like assimilate into society and also like I think we talked about this earlier in the podcast too of like how my experience of assimilating was like essentially acting and having to be not like a white person but having to like talk proper and not seem in any way to make myself seem out of the norm. Like if I do mm -hmm. one thing off, then people are going to view me as an other. And so this also includes like straining my hair, like getting a relaxer, right? It was only probably like five years ago that I was like, I want to go natural, right? Part of it is like accepting my full name. It was probably, it's only mm -hmm. probably been like six or seven years that I've like I want to use my actual like government name that my parents have like named me you know and so essentially like all that is to say like assimilating is like 
assimilating is like taking away someone's culture and identity and I felt that for a very long time that like I couldn't be my full self and if I was my full self people would view me um as an other and I remember I had this conversation with someone a couple weeks ago like a few months ago about this and I was like look I, I was I, I was I was talking to a white person and I was like look I have always been in situations where I've always had to like adapt and simulate to fit other people's needs and to make them feel comfortable right mm-hmm. so that way they don't feel scared or they don't look at me as an other, right? So like I've I've always had to like adapt and assimilate. And adapting and assimilating sometimes, most of the time means that like I have to like shut down like parts of myself, like my like Africanness or like my black Americanness is if that's a word, if that makes sense. Right. So oh, right. So like assimilating it's like adapt yourself but like taking away someone's like culture and also telling them that like in order for you to survive and thrive in this society or whatever area they're in you have to be just like us so Mm. yeah so i've especially in white circles because that is the context that i've always lived in of having to assimilate i've had to change myself in a lot of ways and luckily i'm in a point in my life where i'm very much like look like this is who i am i'm embracing a lot more of my culture now than i did many years ago and it's kind of like look if you can't look if you can't take this heat that like we can't hang you know what i mean um but no yeah that's essentially what assimilating means to me and like the book that you mentioned i haven't read this book but if i think the book that you mentioned it describes from like a latina or hispanic experience but i'm pretty sure that you can attest to how similar the experience is based on the book well it's really interesting because although my 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 need for assimilation hasn't looked the same way that it looked for jalissa who is self-proclaimed, was undocumented until she married an American-born Latino. Um, It it was hard for her, right? It was very different. But there's these these themes that she talks about in the book in this this case for assimilation, for rejecting assimilation, um, that's essentially two parts. is One, um, understanding the lies that we're told about assimilation. And then two, embracing what is true right because truth and lies um are opposite words and this just like was a really strong theme throughout the book and i like you struggled with my name struggled with my hair struggled with my skin tone although i love my skin tone um (laughs) um, but my biggest um, takeaway for a simulation that I realized that we both use, um, and also Miriam Webster uses, um, is to take in and utilize as nourishment to absorb into a system, right? Um, that's the first, this first part of the definition to absorb into a culture or tradition of population or group. And to be taken in or absorbed to become assimilated. And I realized that what really struck me when we're talking about assimilation is that in order to become 
more of anything, whether that's American or if you're living in Europe or wherever you are, in order to assimilate, um, you become less of what you were meant to be. Exactly. That really struck me because I'm thinking of like a sponge and how porous it is, right? Like the more, the more weight the sponge has, the more porous, it, the more, the less porous it becomes, the more water it retains, the more it sinks down to the bottom. And that image for me, she didn't talk about this in the book. This was one of the images that I got when I was reading my book. But the more that we're filled with those lies, the more we get weighed down, whether you're Latino, whether you're Hispanic, assimilation really means actively letting go a part of yourself to become something that you're not. What do you think? <laughs> I don't know if you guys heard, but I did like a weird thing with my lip where I was like, did like a weird sigh. No, it's very true. I The part that hurts is like taking parts of yourself away. Mm-hmm. And I don't think, now unless you're like, Unless, like, if you have been in this situation, then you understand. But, like, if you haven't been in this situation, I think especially, I guess, in this case, when it comes to race, since we're both talking this about this from a racial standpoint, it is hard for you to understand what it is like for someone to be like, you, like, either you're not good enough or you need to tone it down. Mm -hmm. Or you need to change all these things about yourself, right? And like, and the thing about all these changes is not like, it's not like changes you can make, right? It's not like, oh, developing like a new habit, right? Or changing an outfit, right? These are changes that like you can't make. They're like ingrained in you. They're like part of you. So like if you were to like, change all of these things about you one that's like a very hefty process but it's like a process that like takes a lot of energy and makes you very tiring I think that's the thing that I always like think about my experience it's a very like tiring it can be a very tiring experience and I don't want to make this like a whole like pity party victim type of thing but I think especially in the time that we're living in especially um, we're just living in a time where I think one, which is a good thing, I'll say this. We're living in a time where like there's a movement of people being able to accept more of themselves and like laws being changed, right? Like for instance, there's like the Crown Act, which essentially, like if you don't mm-hmm. know, is this law where um if, if, it makes if, it like, if you don't yeah, know, like if, probably huh? in the podcast you found your way to a word space so right yeah so like um the crown act is essentially like this law that uh says it is forbidden like it is illegal for like companies to like dictate what hairstyle you wear or like ban natural hairstyles keep in mind the year is 2022 and like this law is just now coming into place and like like states are now accepting it so it's one of those things where we live in a time where people are now acknowledging these things but we also live in a time where there are a lot of people still like 
grappling with this idea of like assimilation yeah yeah people are still like yeah i'm trying to try i lost my train of thought when i was talking (laughs) but people are still like grappling with this thought and people are still very opposed to it and sometimes people will go like oh it's like 2022 like for instance oh you've like i don't know like had a black president or all these things have happened or their list all these like achievements but we still live in a time where a lot of people have to assimilate and try to fit into society like i always like something that i've always like heard growing up was like the name of this episode is you sound so white which is also like the name i think of the book too as you like mentioned but like there's a reason like i why i talk a certain way i think part of it is i just like talk like this but part of it is also like i know if i like sounded really different or if i was in a different group of people maybe who like weren't white i think people on the outside be like oh my gosh like who is she like she sounds like like less educated or doesn't know what she's saying mm-hmm. i went to like one of the best schools in the country and i have an amazing job so like I am a very accomplished woman, but like if I sound a little differently, then people are going to be like, wouldn't like want to associate themselves with me, right? So part of that is like changing the way I sound. And I remember like people will be like, oh, like you sound so white, but part of it, they'll be saying that like, oh my gosh, like you're not one of those people, yeah, right? And that's the thing that hurts the most is kind of like, and she talks about it in the book, right? Like she talks about how there's a difference between the lies that we believe being in the United States and being having this necessity to she equates whiteness with citizenship. And although people will say and reject that notion, the reality exists. There were laws, there were laws that that existed in the United States till the fucking 60s. Till the fucking 60s. 1962 was the first version. 1962, I might be misremembering at this point. But the Civil Rights Acts were signed into the mid-1960s. So if you are going to sit here and tell me that color doesn't equal citizenship in in the United States of America, you have an idea of history that doesn't exist. Like you, your idea of history has been tainted. And so, yeah, she talks about that a lot. And one of the things that I think is different, like, cause like we talk about the, the Latino experience versus the African experience versus the Hispanic and just a real quick history lesson. And this is an oversimplification and people write tons and tons of articles and tons and tons of research papers on this, of the the difference between Latino versus Hispanic versus Latine versus Latinx, which in fact, a lot of Latinos reject the term Latinx. um, And I was even forced to assimilate to using it when I was working. Um, And Afro-Latinos, like there's just, we're not a monolith, right? Um, Latino means from Latin America. Latin America um, is anything South of Mexico. some of the Caribbean, anything that was colonized by Spain, Hispanics are anybody who is Spanish speaking and also from Spain. So Latinos could be Hispanic 
but they could also not be because there's Latinos in Latin America that were colonized by Portugal, i.e. Brazil. <laughs> um, and then Afro-Latinos who are black people living in predominantly Spanish-speaking countries that were colonized by Spain um, and most likely brought in through slavery. This is a very easy TLDR. It's an oversimplification, so I do apologize completely for any researchers who are like turning in their chairs at what I'm saying. But when we talk about these people that are that coexist and exist and are, we're all very different. We all have different um, needs and cultures and ways of expressing ourselves, and yet we're put into this box. And she talks about that as well and how, especially when we're talking about the Black Lives Matter movement and where Latinos fit into that, um, and that rejection of assimilation is really hard for her in the book, she talks about the massacres that happened for brown men and how brown men are um, killed at a different rate than than black men. And we as Latinos haven't come together in the same way. And we have a lot to learn from the Black Lives Matter movement in order to stand up for our own um, our own brothers who are being shot and killed and murdered. Um, and yes, I will add a um, a brief trigger warning for those at the beginning of the of the podcast, um, because I know that this this stuff's really hard for a lot of people still. And she talks about how like we we as Latinos, right? Like Mexican Americans have been in this country for longer than some Texans have been in this country, and how in order to be American even if you were living in a territory that was taken uh, first by the Spanish, then by the Americans, you're still forced to be something that you're not. And so although the experiences, like you said, Leo, are different, the experience parallel themselves because at the end of the day, what is um, revered as American is white. I don't know if you feel that same way. No, I feel the same way too. I think the term American, see, here's the thing. American is a melting pot. Um, some some people like to like disagree with that statement, but like that's totally false, but hey. Um, it, American, uh, America is a melting pot. Um, what makes this country great is there just so many different people from all over the world that really make, make up America. If you look at like the different areas of the country and the different foods and stuff that they eat, a lot of it is a combination of different cultures that like come together, right? Um, but the word American is associated a lot of the times with whiteness. Mm -hmm. That is very true. And that doesn't need to be the case because, like, I'm I'm American, right? My 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 parents are like both American citizens, so like they're 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 American, right? Um, but to other people, they wouldn't 
see that, right? right. If my mom if my mom hands out her American passport, they'll be like this. They'll be like the math is not mathing right now, and she'd be like, "Well, I'm an American, and you know what I mean." Yeah. Um, so there's also this idea of American with this assimilation. There's this American standard of beauty. There's this American way you like look a certain way and if you don't fit that picture or that mold then you are not you're you're not american and that's the mm -hmm. idea you have something you want to say and then i'll yeah no it's okay <laughs> um well it's just a couple of things right like we keep circling back to these things that are just so they're so tied to our our, our to our identity. And I just had a very interesting um, encounter with um, some friends. And so just a real quick example of like how whiteness isn't seen just in the United States, but also globally. I was just in Spain where I got my cell phone stolen. Poor, poor me. Um, but I... I was with some friends that I met while we were in Kansas and everyone's like, Oh, the Americans coming, the Americans coming. And so everyone's really excited because they're Americans coming. And I, I was sitting across the table from my host, um, very nice young woman. And she goes, your Spanish is so good. Where did you learn to speak Spanish? I literally just gasped right now. I just gasped so hard. And I looked at her <laughs> and I said, well, I've been speaking Spanish my whole life. And, and the night goes on and this person later tries to correct me between the difference in ser and estar, <laughs> which find you again. Okay. I've been speaking Spanish my whole fucking life. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, there's like some words that are really hard to say, like estadounidenses. And like now I can say it without a fucking problem. I couldn't say it for shit a week ago. <laughs> but I, she tries to explain to me the difference between ser and estar. And I literally go, Yo conozco la diferencia entre ser y estar porque he estado hablando español toda mi vida. And she like looked at me in this like shock, right? I basically said, I was like, I know the difference between ser and estar because I've spoken Spanish my whole damn life. And, and I cried on the walk home with my friend. And, and it was because my entire life I've been told in order to be American, you have to speak English and sound like this. And at the same time, I've been told, in order to be wanted and accepted in your country of origin, not that Spain is my country of origin, but it's a big deal to like speak Spanish in the, sp in the place that you are, and be told that I didn't speak Spanish, it literally broke my heart, because I felt so like, where the fuck do I belong? And it kind of confirmed all of those fears that I don't have a place, right? In Spanish, we say, ni de aquí, ni de allá which means neither from here or from there. And so that kind of confirmed my, my fears. And my Spanish is fucking almost perfect. 
And I had more than two people say like, oh, Spanish is hard for you, right? And I was like, no, Estadounidenses is just a hard fucking word to say because I don't say it all the time, <laughs> right? And so, um, so yeah, I just have this new conviction of really speaking a lot more in Spanish and making sure that people do know that this is my native language. Um, and you can go fuck yourself if you think otherwise because, yeah, anyway, that was my one story of like, how assimilation has like broken me down to the point where like, I don't even know where I belong, you know? No. Yeah. No, it's, it's true. This, I don't know. This topic just makes me like, just like, like emotional just like thinking about it because I think of all the times where I've tried to like fit in into other people's molds and like, even at the end, here's also the fucked up thing about assimilation too. <laughs> even if you like fit, if, even if you somehow fit into the mold, whatever the mold is, people will still be like, the math is not math. You know, they will still be like, this does not add up. Yeah. And so, I no, I no, I just I just keep I just keep going back to that conversation that I had like months ago with the person I was talking to because I was just like, I'm doing all the things that I'm trying to be doing. I've adapted and like as I didn't use the word assimilation, but I was like, I'm trying to I, I am assimilating, I'm doing all the things, but still yet it sometimes feels like I am not good enough to fit into whatever mold that yeah. the place area that I live in is. And I think I kind of felt that way maybe a little more. Like, personally, I think in the Midwest, I think that's when I felt that a lot more than in most aspects of my life. I feel like the last time I really had felt that was, like, the school that I had meant to, that I went to, where I had to change, not I had to change my name to Katie, but, like, my name was, like, changed to Katie by my dad. Like, the school that I went to um, from, like, kindergarten to eighth grade so I guess grades whatever you call that period of your life I definitely had to assimilate myself in a lot of ways and then like once I got to high school and then once I got to college I didn't feel that way really anymore just because like the high school I went to I just didn't I didn't feel that I had a very diverse friend group and then, like, the college I went to, I mean, I went to, like, Washington, D.C., and, like, most of my closest friends were people of color, so I, and we always had these conversations all the time, so I was only like, oh, I'm, like, with my people, even though we're not, like, the same race or culture, I was like, you get me, but then moving to the Midwest, I felt that, I think, in a lot of ways, just because also it's kind of a very, like, white area, not every area is white, but I think I felt that. And especially the people that I associated myself and hung out with more, I really felt like I had to like assimilate myself to fit and adapt to whatever like needs. So I don't know. I, I feel like I don't like have a bunch of like total like facts to like bring in kind of like you did, but like really the experience of assimilating can be very stressful and really hard. And for people that don't understand what that means, one, it just means you just never had to experience that. So I guess lucky you. Um but <laughs> you have something to say. Uh-huh. No, no, I say like, yeah, well, totally I I totally get it. Like people not having the need to to think outside of their own lived experience, right? And this is why I think this is really good for us to talk about, right? Like me listening to your shared experience as a Black woman of African descent, learning how to human in Georgia, and me as a Latina in New Jersey with very strong community roots to Puerto Rico, like 
even like our church played church music in in like traditional Puerto Rican music, right? So like I didn't have I didn't feel the need to assimilate until after I left college. So totally, it's really important for us to talk about these life experiences. It just so happens that we turn on mics to do it. Yeah, exactly. So all the people can listen to us and learn. We force them to learn. (laughs) So I want to close with this poem um, that she cites in this book um, in the chapter called Reclaiming Our Identity. The poem is by Jose Olivares, and it's called Mexican-American Dissimulation. Um, Disambugation. Sorry, that's a hard word. Look, I speak English, too. Um, So the poem starts, My parents are Mexican, who are not to be confused with Mexican-Americans, or Chicanos. I am Chicano, from Chicago, which means I am Mexican-American, with a fancy college degree and a few tattoos. Parentheses, me too, bro. Close parentheses. My parents are Mexican, who are not to be confused with Mexicans still living in Mexico. Those Mexicans call themselves Mexicanos. White, white folks at parties call them pobrecitos. Me- American colleges call them international students and diverse. My mom was white in Mexico, and my dad was mestizo, and after they crossed the border, they became diverse, and minorities, and ethnic, and exotic. But my parents call themselves Mexicanos, who again should not be confused for Mexicanos living in Mexico. And if I were writing this book, I would change a lot of those words um, where he talks about Mexicanos and just change them to Latinos or BIPOC. But I think any of us who who come with roots in other countries can really identify to this poem. And this poem is made to be written in, read in spoken word. So I'm going to go ahead and link um, the YouTube video in the show notes for this month, for this week. Leo? Damn. No, that was really good. No, that was, no, definitely related to that poem. It's fine. You find a way, you adapt or you fit yourself to wherever. You know what I mean? Like we talked about in this, I think, American context, but like even you mentioned before, even like somewhere else, you you find, you somehow find a way to adapt and assimilate, but it takes a piece of you away. And you're called so many different things that at the end, you're just like, who am I? You know what I mean? And yeah. I think that's the key point. Like you you identify yourself as this one word, right? Like American in this context. But depending on who you talk to, where you are, you're like 10, 20, maybe 15 different things. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the hard part about assimilating is that you're called many things and you're put in many different boxes when really you just want to be in this one box because you identify with it strongly or you want to be in that box. But part of assimilating is like other people put you in the box, not you. So even you don't have the uh, agency, that's the word, like the agency to put yourself in a box, other people do it for you. So that's my last bit. No, I'm just going to end with like a call, like reclaim our roots, reclaim our identity, reclaim, reclaim our agency. So 
Until next time, my name is Mary Elena Maraquin. Actually, no, let me do that again. <laughs> my name is Marilena Marroquin. And I'm Leo Cadia Chuafe, and you're listening to On Her LMA. Until next time, stay, stay hydrated, take your vitamins, and be kind. And remember to always come as you are, for real, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> Bye for now. Bye, Lizzie.